if you know working graveyard shift at 24 hour fitness lets you be there and do a bunch of work because no one's in the gym and then allows you your whole day after a few hours of sleep to get after your goals then so be it um i just i don't i don't move in a manner of where i let my pride get in the way of the things i want to do nobody comes here to hide is a weekly podcast for the people who feel like they aren't seeing themselves or their current position represented in the media right now. The show features in-depth conversations with entrepreneurs, innovators, artists, and creators, where hopefully you get a peek into their brain and learn more about the impact they're going to make on this world. Hello, friends. Today's episode is with Dr. Antonio Harrison, and it is one of my favorites as a guest. He was actually recommended to me by one of my dear friends, and we ended up talking for nearly two hours, and even after I edited things, I it was still over about, it was over 90 minutes, so I just chose to break the episode into two. So I'm going to release this episode here. This is the first part of our conversation, and then tomorrow I'm going to put out the second part of our conversation just because I didn't want to you know I didn't want to overwhelm your ears plus there is a lot a lot a lot of gems in our conversation and so I wanted to keep those in without necessarily making you listen to a really long episode so now you can break it up however you want you can get a little double dose whatever feels good to you enjoy Part one of my conversation with Dr. Antonio Harrison. So today I am with Dr. Antonio Harrison. He is a husband and father of three sons. He has a PhD in behavioral analysis. We're going to get into that. Um, VR fitness coach. Again, (laughs) something more to get into. Um, He does guided meditation. He has been a football coach and taught at or teaches at grad school for over a decade he had two podcasts one of them is thank you i love you i'm sorry um and every day of 2020 he is putting out on youtube a body weight exercises and he's about to start another or restart a series called doc's daily dose yes pew pew pew. thanks for being here (laughs) thank you for having me athena i appreciate it (laughs) Mm -hmm. um so Behavioral analysis. I studied decision processes. I just graduated from undergrad. Yes, I studied decision processes, which is somewhat inside of the behavioral science field. And so I'm very interested in what was your focus in behavioral analytics and what brought you there? So behavior analysis, I guess what brought me to it was a survival skill. I grew up in a low socioeconomic area. Um, Drugs, incarceration, gangs were not only in my neighborhood, it was in my household. Um, My dad was an addict and I got put in a lot of really sketchy situations where at a young age, by 10 years old, I had to figure out who's safe, who's not, where's the exit, what's what's going on in the environment. And it kept me safe, one, but two, it turned into a love of people watching. And so... uh, after I got done with undergrad and did some other stuff and was teaching elementary school and, and you know, just kind of working, uh, I got bored and I said, you know, I want to go back to school. I've always enjoyed school. And I called up one of my old undergrad professors and he said, check out this thing called behavior analysis. And I did. And it just totally made sense to me um, talking about human behavior um, with respect to the environment, kind of evoking your behavior um, and putting you in situations where there are different contingencies that play on your behavior. Um, mm-hmm. So that that has been where I got started with it. What I've done with it, uh, I've done a lot of consulting. I work with a lot of people on building new habits and skills and adhering to regimens. Um, I also use it a lot for health, sports, and fitness. So like my thesis was using or shaping correct form tackling with high school football players. And then my dissertation was... Uh, evaluating the effects of an extrinsic reward versus an intrinsic uh, motivator. So um, it's been a lot of fun. Um, A lot of people in my field work with children with autism. I tried it, just not my cup of tea. 
mm-hmm. you know? So, mm-hmm. uh, but it's, it's been a, it's been awesome. Um, I would have never thought that I would have gone on to get a PhD, uh, let alone just kind of being able to navigate my own space and do the things I really want to do. Yeah, that's really awesome. I feel most drawn to the environment, like how you can shift the environment to change behavior. Um, That's like really, uh, I guess, my focus inside of what I studied. And it's interesting that you applied it to athletics or fitness, I guess we could say. Well, one of the cool things is like, uh, though everyone and a lot of people in my field work with kids with autism, like behaviors Mm -hmm. everywhere. Yeah. Right. So like, I always have a job. I Mm -hmm. always have something. And I don't mean like in terms of just making money. I mean, like my brain will always be able to function and work and find something to do. Um, because whether it's the behavior of the individual, a group, society, culture, business, organizations, institutions, Mm -hmm. you know, um, behavior is nonstop. It's constantly happening. So, um, it, it allows for a lot of different unique research lines and people's interests to find whatever you're interested in with behavior, like go after it. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. As a person who is like more established in life, which is to say older than me, <laughs> <laughs> um, how have you ever been in a position where you you're continuing to get work the work that you did not the work that you wanted what do you mean um as an example if you if whatever if somebody is a photographer and right now they're shooting weddings and that's how they started and they continue to get jobs for weddings because they're getting referred based off of their past clients but they want to move more into making documentaries or something else um it's really or maybe it's not very hard, but um, one can get stuck in the work that you've done. Yes. And I just wonder if you've ever experienced that. Um, To a certain extent, um, you know, whether it was teaching uh, or, yeah, I guess teaching would probably be a big one uh, Mm -hmm. where you find yourself, you know, you're in a rhythm, bills are being paid, you kind of get locked in. And next thing you know, you look up and it's 10 years down the road. Um, Luckily for me, I watched my mom work a nine to five that she hated. Mm -hmm. She hated it and she still hates it. And so I knew at a young age, I never wanted to do that. Mm -hmm. So whether good or bad, I always had the ability to say, I'm done with this and walk away from it without being scared of where my next paycheck was going to come from. And I always knew with my education and background, even with a bachelor's and just the things, the abilities that I have, like I can always find a job if I need to, and it doesn't work out with whatever creative thing I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So, and all the things that I've been locked into for years, coaching football, that's a passion. Mm -hmm. So like, I'm not, I will stay with that until it's done. Um, And as far as teaching, that has definitely been something that there's sometimes I don't want to teach this semester, uh, but other times I get into a classroom and I've got really enthusiastic students who want to learn and it lifts my energy and I love it. Um, mm-hmm. But I am looking this 2021, this school year, 2020 to 2021 is probably going to be my last year teaching grad school. Um, wow. I just have a, uh, it's no longer serving its same purpose for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A theme that I have encountered a lot this past week actually is just um, what is still in service of my my future goals. Yep. Very interesting. So this mindset that no matter what, there will always be a job that you can get. Do you mean that um, from the perspective of with your education, like you could always get a job that is aligned with a career, or do you just mean there's always a Marshalls to work at? There's always a Marshalls to work at. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I do have an educational background that allows me higher paying jobs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if, if I have a dream or a goal of something I want to do, and it's going to require me to be a waiter for a while or to, you know, 
scrape gum off the bottom of movie theater seats. Mm-hmm. Like that is just a matter of people's pride, mm-hmm. right? I'm willing to do, to eat ramen every night to fulfill a dream, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's always something you can do uh, no matter what. It's just whether or not you are so prideful that you won't take that job. I'll take any job, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's if I have something in mind that I want to do, but I know that, you know, I'm not going to get paid for it starting out. Um, I want to make this documentary or something. Uh, it's you know, who knows if it goes to a film festival? Like that's a lot of time and effort. Um, and unless you've got some sort of budget to back you, well, you better figure out how you're going to pay for it. And if if you know working graveyard shift at 24 hour fitness let you be there and do a bunch of work because no one's in the gym and then allows you your whole day after a few hours of sleep to get after your goals, then so be it. Um, I just, I don't, I don't move in a manner of where I let my pride get in the way of the things I want to do. This is very interesting to me because I, part of me hears this, um, and you can like you can sort of fall in love with that kind of rhetoric. I completely agree with you regarding pride getting in the way of things. So was that mentality in any way shaken or cracked just a little bit when you had um, your first child? It definitely was. I mean, for example, um, you know, I played college football, mm-hmm. and I thought I was going to play professionally or in Europe or. That was my, that was going to be my thing. Um, but I had a really bad knee injury my senior year and I, it took me a year and a half to run again, a year to walk. Um, so I had to come home for physical therapy and rehab to just like be able to, to, to do normal things again. And when I finally did one of my good friends, who's a MMA fighter, um, he was like, you've got to try this man. You got to try it. Um, and like, I was resistant to it. I just was I was feeling some type of way about athletics in general. And uh, one night he finally convinced me and I went to practice the next morning and I fell in love with it. And I trained for six months and I got a part of a team and I had a few amateur bouts. And then right when I thought like, oh, I'm gonna, this is gonna be my thing. I'm gonna be a professional at this. Um, my wife, girlfriend at the time was like, we're pregnant. Mm-hmm. And at that point it was like, okay, well, I need to get a job that has some benefits so that she can see a doctor so that we can birth this baby properly. And so that got put to the side, but in all honesty, as much as I enjoyed it, um, I'm happy that I didn't go that route, right? Mm -hmm. That's a short, short shelf life of a career. It also, you know, I've put enough damage on my body being an athlete since I was four years old Mm -hmm. and I've walked away from football unscathed with respect to my mental capacity. Right. So like I, when I think about it now, like, did I want to take kicks and elbows to the head? Like, did I really want to do that? <laughs> um, and then the cool thing is too, I can still go to a gym and roll around and, and spar with people if I really need to get that out of my system. Uh-huh. Um, but, and a lot of people who enter that career, there's not very many make it. The UFCs of the world, like that's more than just skill. There's a lot of things with respect to showmanship, with respect to aesthetic, um, a consumer appeal. Um, it's not just who's the best fighter. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that was probably the one time that it really, the kids uh, have cha- changed the direction I was going, but I think it actually changed it for the better. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> what do you think of the fragility of the athlete's uh, concept of themselves <laughs> um, to expand or unless you think you got it from what I just said? No, I, I think so. Um, yeah. Though I was highly intelligent, did well in school, was a social butterfly, had a ton of different interests, mm-hmm. my entire identity was wrapped up in being an athlete. Yeah, me too. And the moment <laughs> I got hurt, the physical pain didn't hurt. Everyone would ask me like, oh, did it hurt? Because the inside of my ankle touched my groin. It was brutal. Um, and I always tell people, it, physically it didn't hurt. What hurt was immediately I knew my athletic career was over in a heartbeat mm-hmm. and I spent damn near, I don't know. Sorry if I don't know if I can curse. Um, yeah, go ahead. Okay. No, I spent damn near 10 years trying to answer the question, who am I? Mm-hmm. Because it was so wrapped up in sports. 
And that's one of the things I think where we fail a lot of kids in athletics is that, especially now with these travel teams and really pushing these kids at young, young age and year round uh, one sport, like I tell my kids, all three of my boys, anything you want to play, I'll put you in. I'll never coach you. I'm going to be a fan and a supporter. Mm -hmm. uh, if you ever want my help and I'll, I will help you, but you got to ask for it. But two, make sure you have other things that you're just as interested in. So go try this. And so like all three of my boys play sports, but my oldest loves gaming. Mm -hmm. My middle one loves drawing and art. And my youngest one loves music and he wants to produce music. And he's only six, like he wants to make beats. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, but they're all extremely good athletes. So now I don't have a fear of, you know, if you don't get that scholarship, you're going to be heartbroken. Or if you don't go to the, the professional level, you're going to be broken. Or mm -hmm. even if you make it there and it all comes crashing down or your career, is your career is storied and you have an ending, like most people are done with professional sports by the time they're 30. Yeah. You had 60 years left with your life. <laughs> yeah. Who are you after that? Mm -hmm. um, so that I do think that identity can be very fragile even though we're very strong in that identity, the moment it's taken away, who we're the hell are you? of people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was, I did three sports during high school and that was like truly from three to nine, that was like everything I was up to. Um, and it was great and I loved it. Yeah. Uh, and then I got to college and I wasn't, good enough really in either of, in any of those. Well, that's kind of not true. The long story short is I didn't do any sports the first year of college. And then I joined ROTC. That's also a whole other thing. My parents were in the military. So I thought that's what I needed to do. And I'll, also I love physical rigor. Yeah. Um, but the thing is I spent, <laughs> I spent so much time um, either still referring to myself as a gymnast, which I think is kind of possible because like the discipline and the yeah. mindset that you have to be in to be a gymnast for even seven years is like a lot. <laughs> you can take that with you forever. Uh, but I just like had no concept of who I was without some sport to tie it to. Yep. But I also had other interests, but they were all just like not, I hadn't created an identity around them. And I think that's yeah. what's really interesting. Um, going back to like behavioral science things, uh, a habit is so much easier when you tie your identity to it than when it's just something that you do. Yeah. You know? Very true. And it, it, being an athlete translates so well into every other area of your life. Yeah. Right? Like I consider... When I sat down and, and would go through it, because, you know, at that time, that's really when I started to get into my spiritual journey. Mm -hmm. And um, what I realized five years in was an athlete is just a derivative of a warrior. And I'm a warrior, one who's ready to put in the work and discipline for an opportunity that may never come. But I'm I'm totally in for every day putting in the work. Mm -hmm. um, and so you build those habits and the other thing that that I got from it's a it's part of the Japanese culture because um, I'm very much into Japanese warriors and samurai and a lot of the Eastern philosophy. Mm -hmm. um, I don't set things around goals anymore. I set them around routines. Mm -hmm. If I put in this routine and this work, things are going to come my way. Right. Um, that doesn't mean I don't have goals, but I don't. I just don't focus on them. Like I got to get to this thing. No. These are the things I need to be doing every day to make sure that I'm on, I'm at my best self. Mm -hmm. And when I'm at my best self, all of a sudden the universe starts to work in mysterious ways and st stuff starts falling in your lap. And the moment you get off of that, what happens? Those things get taken away. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm very in tune with that um, as a warrior. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, my favorite quote is, um, I'd rather be a warrior in a garden than a garden in a war. Mm-hmm. Wow. Never heard that. Um, yeah, I agree with you around goals. I think it's, it's better for the self-esteem and also for the ability to be consistent if you're doing it around actions that are in your control. Yep. 
But when you have this goal of like, I want X number of subscribers, it's like, you can't actually guarantee that you can just do, you can just create the conditions that would lead to that. Yep. I read the book of five rings recently. Um, and that seems like something that would be sort of up your alley. Have you read it? Book of five rings, Hagakure, mm -hmm. Bushin, Bushindito, I think is how you pronounce it. Mm -hmm. um, I also have a ton of uh, books. Uh, it's like, I think the, the other one that I'm getting ready to read is like, I think it's called The Path Inward, mm -hmm. where it's a, a traveling um, Japanese sensei or sifu who just mm -hmm. kind of puts down in prose his thoughts throughout his journey. Um, those are all things that I, the, the Bushido seven virtues, like those are all things I try to live by and, and kind of personify in my life because I love the lessons in there with respect to the strength, but mm -hmm. also with respect to the calm and the vulnerability. Hmm. Uh, a lot of people think warriors are these outward exterior bravado, cut down anything that moves. It's not like that. Mm -hmm. um, they have to be very strong and disciplined and, and have an internal fortitude to be able to uh, meet their biggest goal, which is to never have to engage in conflict. Very, very interesting. Hmm. When did you become interested in in Eastern literature or philosophy? Um, <clears throat> as I was going through that spiritual journey, starting to meditate and try to read more things, mm -hmm. one of the things I used to do all the time was listen to lectures of Alan Watts. And he's fascinating. He's fascinating. Uh, he's a theologian, but he's he's been at phd level of his information since he was like 16. Wow. um and he he worked all the way up i want to say until he was almost 70 before he passed away um but he would give these fascinating lectures on life and religion and zen and would have historical context but also bring it back to modern present day and these beautiful words he was able to weave together my wife hated it because she was just like, this is so boring, <laughs> but I was fascinated with it. And so I started reading some more of his books. And because he talks a lot about Eastern philosophy, I started heading more and more in that direction. And as you get further down the spiritual path, you almost inevitably end up towards the Eastern philosophies, right? Because uh -huh. Western philosophy is just so different in terms mm -hmm. of how they approach everything, right? Um, it's that hard driven I, I, I focus instead of this like mm -hmm. we internal, external, all balancing. Um, so that's that's where it came from. With, beginning was with Alan Watts and then it was just down a rabbit hole at that point. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Hmm. Do you consume a lot of fiction? No, I don't. Huh. I've never, I, I'm a huge movie buff. Uh -huh. um, but in terms of reading, I, I just never could really get into it. Um, I would rather see that story visually played out on a screen. Mm -hmm. But I will tell you this, something that is making me curious about whether or not I'm going to start reading more fiction is one of my good college friends, he lives in Iowa, and I have a phone call with him every month. Mm -hmm. Every month we talk for a couple hours just to say, hey, mm -hmm. talk about each other and what's going on. Um, he roped me into a Zoom D&D &D session. Oh. And I had never, you know, growing up for me, that was like what the kids played, the, like the magic cards in the corner. And like, I was never about that. I was playing mm -hmm. sports. Um, and so I was like, well, you know, quarantine, there's nothing really to do. There's a lot of open time. It's once every three weeks, like, and it's theater of the mind. Like, cool. Like, let me mm -hmm. exercise my imagination. I'm totally sucked in. Like, <laughs> I'm totally sucked in. I'm all about the role playing. I love it to death and I don't want it to end at all. Mm -hmm. That's, that's hilarious. Uh, I, my qualms with fiction lie mostly in the fact that sometimes you have to get through a hundred pages before you care. Yep. And it's just so okay with with nonfiction books and long articles you can attack it like surgically yep. you know you can go to the parts that you know are of interest to you 
But with fiction, that's not really the case. You have to buy in. Um, so I can understand why perhaps he wouldn't like fiction. But more and more, I've been drilling into it because I think it it's exercising a different part of the brain um, that I wouldn't be able to access without, you know, because TV is like quite passive. TV and movies, it's quite yep. passive. Even when it's really intriguing and you're like trying to figure stuff out, but reading is so active and so physically uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> now I, I make sure to read every day um, and I limit the amount of television I consume. Mm -hmm. uh, really, there's only three things I watch. Um, Judge Judy, <laughs> Law and Order, uh -huh. and uh, movies. And that's it. And movies will just be like at a nighttime. Oh, I want to watch a movie tonight, especially horror movies. I really like horror movies, mm. um, which a lot of people apparently don't. <laughs> yeah, I'm one of them. <laughs> I'm not about it. Um, I need to be scared. <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, I. the interesting thing with uh, reading and tapping in, I, I hear what you're saying on the fiction, exercising in different part of the brain. Mm -hmm. I try to do that with Tai Chi with painting, um, with music, as well as I do this, I actually shared this with my wife for the first time and I realized I had never told her before. Mm -hmm. um, I will watch a scene in something mm -hmm. and pause it because I felt like the scene could have been done, been done better. Interesting. And I will reenact the scene myself by myself. <laughs> so really, it's kind of weird, uh, <laughs> what but it's, to it's something I totally do. Uh-huh. That's so interesting. That's delightful, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, I don't do that. <laughs> but what I'd love to do is have um, fully fleshed conversations with, like, a council of me's. Mm. Um, and they have never, I have never succeeded in keeping them internal. Like I'm always like standing, like walking and saying like, councilman Athena, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's a full, uh, dramatic enactment, I guess. No, so. but that's, that's beautiful because it, it does, it taps into something I think people don't do anymore. Mm -hmm. When you look at all the greats in history across across uh, regions, across time, all the greats deliberately took time out of their day to think. Mm -hmm. I take 30 minutes to an hour every day to just go think. Sometimes I have something specific I want to think and talk through. Sometimes I just let my mind wander. And sometimes mm -hmm. it comes out external where I'm literally talking to myself for an hour. Uh, but there's so much stimuli that's thrown at us constantly. I mean, there's so much that we can't take it all in. And so all we're doing is being responsive, uh, reactionary at all times, all the time. Even when we are trying to be proactive, we're being reactive to everything in our environment. So trying to exercise that muscle in a proactive manner to make sure that I can continue to be creative and have that neuroplasticity and uh, firing new you know, neurons and building new mm -hmm. pathways like people need to think more. And I don't think people do that as much as they used to or as much as they should. Because now, like you're right, TV's passive. I can pick up a phone and be stuck. Like people don't know how to wait anymore. Catch, look at a waiting room or even on a bus where people are moving. No one's talking to each other. Everyone's got headphones in and everyone's staring at their device. Um, I grew up in an era where you said hello to any human being past your cro or who crosses your path. Mm -hmm. It doesn't happen anymore. Um, and that's upsetting, but so, I mean, to bring it back to what I was saying was to your council members, um, <laughs> it's dope because you're, you're using your brain deliberately mm -hmm. in terms of a proactive manner, instead of being reactive to everything. Mm -hmm. Is this time to think different from your meditation? Mm -hmm. Like a separate time? Completely different. My meditation, I have a routine that I do every morning when I get up at five and my meditations in that routine. And that's just a still, you know, I'm on my knees. I've got some incense and some candles and some water and I'm just breathing and being mm -hmm. there and listening. And that's it for about 20 to 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, 
but normally I do the thinking later in the day around lunchtime. Okay. And do you record any of these of the thinking? Like, is it, is it something you do and then you maybe jot down the main takeaways or are you recording throughout or neither? Uh, sometimes, um, typically I always carry this like little journal that fits in my back pocket. So I always have notes to take and think and jot down. Um, mm -hmm. I like writing as opposed to typing in or, but sometimes if I don't have that with me for whatever reason, I'll use my voice recorder and just mm -hmm. record things that come in that I think are good ideas, but I don't record the whole thing. Just points that I think are relevant for me or something that's an idea that maybe I'll consider later down the road, or maybe I won't. Um, uh, or something that is just a powerful statement mm -hmm. that I'll put in. Um, it was, I was just telling someone the other day, like, um, I, I'm mixed, right? So I'm black and Italian. My dad's black. My mom's Italian. Um, but I only grew up with my black side. That was it. Mm -hmm. And I grew up in a black neighborhood. Um, but then I ended up going to a private school in like one of the most affluent cities in the state of California and in the nation and would cross this ravine to like millions of dollars of cars and homes and then mm -hmm. go back to my place where I was dealing with addiction inside of my house and like the gangs in the neighborhood. And one of the things that came up as I was thinking was like, you know, people say that tattoos are supposed to be an expression for self. Um, but I wonder if I had put it on as an expression for others to mm -hmm. tie myself to my neighborhood. And then I realized all of my tattoos are in black ink. I wonder if I did that, not because I don't like color tattoos, but because they make my skin darker, mm -hmm. like my father's. Right? Now, is anything going to come from that thought? I don't know. Mm -hmm. But it's something that was fascinating in terms of self-awareness. Yeah. Right? Um, but how many people are thinking about that? Not a lot. No. And that's, that's, that's unfortunate because I think, think people are smarter than they give themselves credit for. Um, but when you're not in control of what you're doing, then you're going to get the outcome that's deserving. Yeah. The phone and apps and everything internet related is built literally to take advantage of the addictive centers of your brain. Yep. Um, and it's definitely the type of thing where I'm personally a proponent of avoiding temptation rather than resisting it. So most weekends, my phone is like somewhere else. Yeah. Um, I actually almost missed... <laughs> I almost missed this appointment because I thought it was at two. And then I just was like, oh, let me just look at my calendar really quickly. And luckily. <laughs> it's funny. I almost missed it too because I thought it was at one Pacific Standard Time. I see. <laughs> <laughs> but I do the same thing. I put my phone on do not disturb and I star certain people to where their text messages or their calls are the only ones that come through. Mm -hmm. And then the only time I, I check my emails once a day, mm -hmm. that's it. Like, um, so that way I'm in control of what I'm responding to instead of letting that device control me. Definitely. I'm fully addicted to my email and I have no qualms with that. <laughs> I mean, I have qualms, but it's not the thing I'm working on right now. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Uh, something you said earlier made me think about, um, the great, like the great minds, something that, uh, I'm going to zip zap all over the place. I love it. Something that I personally love and I think is one of the biggest tenets of my life and how I perceive myself is play. Um, and I think that playing, experimenting, whatever makes you feel better uh, is so important and so silly and one of the best things for new ideas, for neuroplasticity, a bunch of things. Um, but thinking about the great minds, I can't remember, I don't know if this is exactly true, or I don't know if it's specifically Leonardo da Vinci, but I believe it is. Um, everyone's like, he's genius, he's blah, blah, blah. But something that not a lot of people know is that he, um, once or multiple times, you, 
used a needle to like poke through his cornea just to see what would happen. Uh. And like, that is playing, that is experimenting. And so out of like this quantity, this like huge quantity of experiments and playthings and whatever, we like shaved, we have more or less erased the things that obviously didn't work, such as poking yourself in the eye with a needle. But we got so many other things because he was willing to poke himself in the eye with a needle. Yes. And I'm just trying to find my needle. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. No, I feel you. No, that's a, I, I, I probably lean more towards the experimentation uh, language. Mm-hmm. Um, I will try almost anything at, at least one time, right? Mm-hmm. Like you never know if it's like, I think about, I, I think to myself, the guy who does, uh, I don't know. You ever seen like the seesaw where two people are on and they're flipping themselves up and like doing big flips and they land? Oh, yes. Yes. How do you figure out that that's your thing? (laughs) This is, yes, I've had this question too. (laughs) Right. But you have to be willing to play around and experiment and be like, I'm going to try that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, I I try all kinds of stuff all the time. And, uh, and I mean, like I said, it's, it's led me to, I mean, I'm a virtual reality fitness coach. Like that's not a sentence I would have ever thought I would have put together in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but hey, here we are, because I was willing to, to try some things. Definitely, so. definitely. I think about that, about um, a lot of the winter sports in the Olympics, like ski shooting or something. Yeah. Okay, sure. Somebody experimented with that. Fine. But then how did they market it and then make it? A thing. It's not even ubiquitous, but like, how did they make it worth the Olympics? Right. <laughs> um, yeah. But getting back to your VR fitness coach. Yeah. How did that come about? So I was a full-time professor for, it was Kaplan and uh, it was an online program Mm -hmm. and then it got bought out by Purdue. And when I went full-time as a professor, the requirement was teaching four classes a term and you Mm -hmm. had to take the max load classes and they would load up their classes to 35 students, which is outrageous. And then they put it on a schedule where every class across the board in the program had a paper due every three weeks. And I would only have seven days to grade. Mm -hmm. So every three weeks, I'd have, you know, 105 papers to grade at the graduate level. And like, Mm -hmm. how can you really give that kind of feedback? Good feedback. And um, as and I, I was I was feeling the strain of it. And then, you know, football coaching, the season came around and I contacted my department chair and was like, hey, can I just get classes that start later in the schedule because I've got football practice? Mm-hmm. And she essentially told me, this is your full-time job. Figure something out with football. Mm-hmm. And I was like, like going back to what we talked about earlier, no, it's not. I quit. Right. Right. Like uh, you don't want to work with me on this and be flexible and just take two classes and put them at the end of my schedule. I'll still teach all four, but you don't want to make that tweak for me. Well then, mm-hmm. As soon as the semester's over, I'm done, mm-hmm. right? Um, and when I did, I was I was mentally drained, and so I said, you know what? I want to get a job that allows me to use some unique skills, but have fun, and you know, it doesn't have to pay much. Just something to kind of supplement losing this a little bit. So I ended up getting a job as, and I went just scrolling on LinkedIn and Craigslist and all these different job sites. Indeed. Mm-hmm. And there was a job for a fitness instructor at a boutique treadmill studio. So you, you come in, there's 24 treadmills. We put you through a workout where you're running different speeds and inclines, and then you jump off and you use weights to do stuff. And I have to wear a microphone. So it's practicing my presentation and speaking skills. because I do a mm-hmm. lot of invited speaker events, um, but also allowing me to connect with people and engage. Mm-hmm. And then the coolest thing was like, oh yeah, by the way, you have to make a playlist for the hour. Mm-hmm. And so like get a Spotify account and you have playlists ready. And you know, I'm a big uh, hip hop, rap, R&B and neo soul guy. Okay. Um, and I ended up having like one of the most popular classes which was a Tuesday night hip hop class. 
Mm-hmm. It's like these 60 year old women in there going hard to some Tupac and like, it was crazy. Uh, uh-huh. E40 and like, they're just go- getting after it. Um, and uh, that company got bought out by a place that franchises them. And they started doing uh, like the Peloton style video recording workouts. Okay. So like I would drive to this studio in Irvine and like, do the workout while talking to this camera, making the, and the music going and like the whole, what you would normally see on a Peloton, like I was that dude. Mm-hmm. And from there, um, the head coach, kind of like the manager, I guess, of the treadmill studio, she left and went to go do something else. And what she went to go do was this VR thing. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I got a perfect coach for you guys because they were looking for coaches. And, and that's all it was. I was being bigger than the place I was in. Uh-huh. And she was like, hey, you want to try this out? And I went over for an interview and checked out this, this fitness service. And I was like, I'm in. And so literally you put on the virtual reality headset, you click on this app called Supernatural, and I pop up in your virtual world, kind of chit chat for a second, take you through some stretches. Then you go into the workout and then you hear me over voiceover as you're doing the workout, uh, motivating you through it, uh-huh. which then led to them being like her telling them he also has done guided meditations. So now there are whole 10 minute uh, guided meditations in this virtual reality app, this fitness app uh-huh. of just my voice inside of an environment. Like, so all it was, was just me doing the things I love to do and doing them really well for the sake of me enjoying it that started to just present these other opportunities where all of my skills started to come together. Mm-hmm. Is any of this possible with a limited mindset? I think it, it, so mindset is a tricky word for me. Okay. Because my definition of mindset is simply the things you say to yourself. That's okay. it. Uh, I think a lot of people take mindset as this like fixed thing or this thing that you can change, but it's, it's this persona of who you are and how you maneuver when I don't think that's it at all. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's simply the things you say to yourself. So the same things I'm sharing with you are the the way I talk to myself. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I have moments where I beat myself up. Right. But I also have moments where I look in the mirror and I'm like, you're a badass, man. Like, let's get after this, or you got this, or, ooh, I feel those nerves coming, but that means we're doing the right thing. We're in the right mm-hmm. place, right? Um, so for me, so to answer your question, if you have a limited mindset in the sense that you don't think highly of yourself and you talk to yourself in a really shitty manner, yeah, these things aren't possible mm-hmm. or not. So I don't really want to belabor this point, but when you're speaking to yourself is it mostly is it mostly about yourself or from the perspective of you or is it here's what needs to get done do you know what i mean so yeah. there's a difference between oh well if you know then you can just i, I do a little bit of both mm-hmm. right um there are times where i was you ever stared in the mirror and talked to yourself and looked dead into your eyes Sort of. I have an issue about looking into the eyes because I can't look at, you You can only see one at a time. And so then I get, now I'm in my head about, can I look into anyone's yeah. eyes? And yeah, but yeah. yes, I, I understand what you're saying. Um, right. So um, I have those moments. Um, I also break things down very strategic. This has to happen. I got to do this. Let me take care of this step. Boom, boom, boom. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so uh, in both sense, I, I talk to myself in terms of a motivator. I talk to myself in terms of task orientation. I talk to myself in terms of play. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the interesting things I've realized over the years, if intoxication is involved, mm-hmm. I talk horrible to myself. Interesting. So if I've had something to drink, even though I may be extra boisterous or outgoing or talkative or even more social than I already am. And I feel like I'm just having a great time. As soon as I get solo, I, I, I bash myself, Mm -hmm. Um, which is an interesting thing to note for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you had to break it into majority minority, 
is it aspirational or instructions? It's instruction and present moment deliberation of consequence. Okay. Yep. If I do this, what are going to be the potential outcomes? Am I willing to take that on? Hmm. I recently made a decision framework, which makes me so happy because <laughs> no, not nobody, but I asked so many people what their framework was. And the consensus was if you have kids, it's about like the familial unit. And if you don't have kids, why are you asking me this? I've never heard of this, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, but why did I bring that up? Oh, because it's, it is just deliberation, right? Yeah. It is just sort of a, a, the more that I, Athena, can realize that everything is just opportunity cost, the less liable I am to do things that do not serve my greater yeah. vision. And the less emotionally attached you are to failure. Yeah. Right. Um, it, it, and here's the thing. I may know the right decision to make, mm -hmm. but if the other decision seems a lot more fun in the moment and I'm willing to take the consequence, well, then I'm going to do that. Yeah. It's okay. When I was, <laughs> when I was younger, my parents spanked me and also my sister, um, who's older than me. And so my sister was very much like, I think she got spanked a total of three times in her whole life. Um, I, on the other hand, I saw that as not a deterrent, but, oh, do I want to do this thing enough that I'm willing to be spanked? And more often than not, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a really short-term uh, pain, mm -hmm. and I still got what I wanted. <laughs> yep, totally. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting, too, to go back to your – in asking people about their de decision framework and this kind of being these two groups of parents versus not parents – I think one of the biggest mistakes, and it speaks to why some of those, or speaks to what some of those folks said to you, parents wrap their entire life around their children. And that's a, that, that is not a way to be. It's just, it's like an athlete. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you know, um, I love my children to death. I keep the family at the forefront of uh, my responsibilities and, and the things I do and my love. Uh, but I, 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 I want a life too. Mm -hmm. My life does not revolve around my children, period. Mm -hmm. um, and they are very aware of that. Um, uh, but guess what? Dad's at everything. Dad shows up to everything. He supports everything. Mm -hmm. But I also will not drop exactly what I'm doing to make sure that you got whatever it is you need in the moment. No, wait a minute. When I'm done, I'll help you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so... Uh, and I think that's just a healthy way to be, um, because if you don't, what ends up happening is parents forget that those children are little people. They're their own individual. They have their own world going on. You think you control it? You don't. You don't. Their whole world is different than yours. That's a person. Um, they need to live a life, too. Uh, obviously, safety and all that stuff. And, you know, I don't let my kids run around with knives in their hands. Right. Like, sure. Uh, Not yet. But. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like, um, they're people and I'm a person, um, which is why I make sure that I get myself right. And that's the other part of it too, is parents don't realize kids will never listen to what you tell them to do. And I don't mean that in the sense of they're always going to do the opposite thing. What I mean is they don't grow up the way you tell them. They, when you really look at it, they grow up and follow the patterns based off of your behavior. They're going to do what you do, not what you say. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I do me. Uh, I'm just curious. Do you want a daughter or did you? Um, if I could guarantee a daughter for the fourth, I would go for it totally. Mm -hmm. um, but my sister has three daughters. So that so kind of suffices. Um, but uh yeah, it's four kids is a lot, one. Uh, mm -hmm. But two, I know if I had a daughter, she would have me wrapped around her little finger. Aww. Like mm -hmm. all this tough guy exterior would be totally gone. 
That's, yeah, that sounds about right. I'm still on the fence about kids, but I think if I have one, I'm having four. It's like, it's four or zero, I think, or seven. I don't know. (laughs) I, I, you know, if you have children, my only advice, um, which is probably different than most, is have them younger than older. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and a lot of, I mean, one is I get to play with my kids. I can mm-hmm. run around and play laser tag running from the back to the front. Um, when my last kid graduates high school, I'll be 50 years old. Mm-hmm. I got 40 years left of my life. Mm-hmm. Like, to engage with grandkids, great grandkids. And, you know, um, I love that. Uh, I got some friends who are, you know, 38, who are looking to start having kids. Mm-hmm. Like by the time they get out of college, you're going to be like 80 years old. <laughs> yeah, 62. <laughs> so my parents had me very late. Well, they had my sister at quote unquote a regular time, but then um, 10 years passed and then I popped out. Yeah. <laughs> And happens like that. <laughs> it does. But I also intend to live probably easily 180 years. 180? <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> oh, and you're one of those who wants to live forever, huh? No, 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 not forever. Immortality <laughs> seems pretty boring. <laughs> but 180, I could get a lot done. Okay. Fair enough. I got I got uh passions that I want to focus decades on. You know what I mean? Okay. So I got want to give it its time. Just keep um, moving and you'll you'll live long. Just keep oh, moving. I'm yeah, I'm there. I'm a, I'm into biohacking. I'm like nice. Yeah. Surrounded mostly by people, well virtually surrounded by people who think they're going to live to 300. So. As long as I'm the youngest in the room. <laughs> <laughs> hey. It's the end of the episode. Didn't it come so fast? That was part one of my conversation with Coach Doc. Here are my three favorite takeaways. Be ready to walk away from a job if you need to. Don't let pride stop you from fulfilling a dream. Swallow your ego. Do what it takes to achieve what you're trying to achieve. And three, it's incredibly important to set aside time to think. Just time for deliberation. So part two is coming out tomorrow. That will be the final episode Uh, covering my conversation with Antonio. Do all the things that I like, you know, your subscribing, your rates, your reviews. All of that is helpful and appreciated. Thank you.